0: Sam, it's great to be here. I I love doing these uh, (laughs) face-to-face interviews or discussions and you've got an amazing facility here. What are you doing here with all of these breakout rooms and uh, recording studios?
1: Oh Well, this is our Ignition Centre. So this is what we use with clients to break through some of the challenging problems that they've got through the facilities that we've got here. Puts them in a different frame of mind. We've got the sprint rooms for breakout sessions. We can put the technology together with any of the data and insights that we're coming together and really try and move some of the thinking forward. And it's a really fun space to work in.
2: Sam, you built it, I believe. Uh, I built elements of technology for sure. We worked globally with other ignition centers as well. So there's a commonality in the way we we use these, these centers. So a great, great part of the role. <coughs>
0: Hello and welcome, Matthew Grant here and this week we're taking another look at what insurers are doing with ChatGPT, BARD and other generative AI tools. Now KPMG has been out talking to its clients and partners this year to learn directly from the people leading these companies and I was delighted to be asked to join Paul Merry for one of the roundtables he leads and so I was able to hear directly firsthand what people were saying this episode I pop back over to the KPMG offices in Canary Wharf London to talk to Sam Taylor and Paul Mary in person to find out what's going on and a hint of what is to come in the next few weeks with the release of Microsoft's co with whom KPMG is partnering. We've also got some tips in here on how to get the best out of generative AI and how to help your colleagues learn and discover the potential for generative AI use in your business. Now, we're delighted to have KPMG as a member of Instec. And today we're working with hundreds of companies in insurance, technology, and professional services to share their stories and to give you some insights into the latest innovations that actually work. To learn more about what we're doing at Instec and how we might be able to help you, you can find out more at www.instec.co or contact any of us, hello, at instec.co. We're going to put links for those and the items we discussed in this interview in the episode notes. Now, back to Sam and Paul.
2: InsTech is accredited for continuing professional development by the Chartered Insurance Institute and you can earn up to 0.5 CPD hours by listening to our podcast. You can find the learning objectives on our website www.instec.co or in the episode description. Whilst you're there, please do take a minute to complete the feedback form. We are always keen to hear what you think of the podcast.
0: So for those that don't know KPMG, I think everybody does, but I don't think they'll be aware of how big you are. 143 countries you're operating in. In last year, you had 265,000 people around the world. And you're working in government, public sector, not-for-profit, obviously financial services and insurance. Uh, Paul, you partner, head of commerciality and specialty insurance. And Sam, you are director, strategy and performance transformation. And we're going to be talking today about... A lot about generative AI, but specifically for you know, these days, m- most people have heard of it. But what the idea is to help people understand not just what it can do for them, but also if they're enthusiastic about it, how do they help their organization move forward in some practical cases? Before we get into that, Paul, you've run some excellent roundtables I've had the chance to be part of. But just in terms of what you're doing at KPMG in the world of insurance, before we get into the generative AI space, anything we should add to, to the sort of high level introduction?
1: In terms of KPMG's services in insurance, we've got several hundred people purely focused on insurance, and our services span everything from developing the strategy through into executing that strategy through operations, technology consulting, helping them with their digital transformations, but in addition to that, a large risk consulting practice, a tax consulting practice, as well as deal advisory. And for the purposes of, Sam, what,
0: what kind of research are you drawing from in terms of just learning what's happening in the industry just now about generative AI?
2: So we've got kind of three distinct levels of, of research that are going on, the macro context and what's going on from an economic perspective. Then we started getting into a bit more of the detail. We've worked with over 300 business leaders to understand you know, use cases and how this can be applied to a business context. And then finally, through our alliances with the likes of Microsoft and Google, we've done some really deep kind of connectivity with them to understand their roadmaps and the future vision for artificial intelligence
0: and large language models generative ai has been around for a while but most of us came across this with chat gpt's launch almost this time last year how's the insurance world doing relative to uh, financial markets generally and maybe other industries in terms of its uh, understanding and moves towards adoption of these tools
2: yeah, I think broadly in line, a lot of organisations are at this, this discovery stage and just understanding what it is, what it can do. And a lot of organisations, especially in the financial services sector, including insurance, have moved past this generic understanding of what Gen AI is, moved almost past the use case and understanding use cases, and are very much thinking about you know adoption and implementation. So insurance is kind of amongst the pack. Try to think across across sectors and try a sector that's maybe ahead of the pack, right? So in private equity, they are much more focused obviously on value creation and risk of value loss and using generative AI to either offset the risk of value loss. If you think about business model impact of anybody who does something broadly associated with something that AI is very good at, there's a risk of that value erosion over time. So they've got this laser focus on value. And actually, it's one of the things that we're trying to talk to clients about and how you how you anchor this conversation in cost and cost reduction, obviously, but also value creation through generative AI and finding those really strategically aligned use cases.
0: Yeah, that, that point about cost reduction is interesting because I think a lot of the, those use cases tend to be around using analytics to be able to replace people looking at documents or creating documents. But but it's, yeah, there's, there's a few insurance companies we've spoken to who are really looking for how do you actually add the value by helping with underwriting or you know, looking at new ways of bringing in new business we should talk about. But just in terms of what you've seen over the last 12 months and, and that adoption by the insurers, is there's only one that stands out for either of review
1: as a, an example? When we think about how Gen AI is going to evolve, we're thinking about the various horizons. This horizon, one that we're in at the moment, is very much around helping people do their roles a little bit better. So most of the use cases that we uh, see seeing from the insurers will be around either helping extract data better, make some sense of the data a little bit better, or at the more evolved end, it's using Gen AI powered chatbots. It's been trialling, playing around with the technology and it's great to hear that insurance is in the pack. We don't always hear that.
0: It's very encouraging, Sam. Thank you. You've made my week now, feeling that insurance is up there with most of the other the other industries. And it might be also in terms of like use cases and things that we might be seeing something that's going to change. So, so my experience is that technology often goes very slowly, and then suddenly it moves very quickly. I think has is going quickly might be about to move even faster. You are working with Microsoft and there's something quite interesting that's going to be happening quite soon. Can you just talk a little bit about what you're doing with them and and what's going to happen with Copilot?
2: No, absolutely. I think also your observation of tech moving really quickly and then quite slowly is is quite on the money because this technology, artificial intelligence generally, has been around since the 50s. So you've had this really steady evolution or maturity of the tech leading up to ChatGPT being released uh, a few months ago. Um, we're really in this kind of this lull uh, stage at the moment where there's been a lot of fanfare about generative AI as a tech and we're waiting for the big tech firms in particular Microsoft and Google to release their generative AI product into their productivity suites like workspaces and office so we're in this kind of lull moment within the tech uh, kind of tech evolution, but you're right there is a massive market moment coming in a few months time once these productivity uh, suites or enhancements are, are released. So in particular, you may reference Copilot. Copilot is going to be a market event, frankly. It's going to hit uh, organizations really quite quickly with what we believe to be at the moment, a really high degree of capability. So it should be integrated into in an office context with of Microsoft, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, Teams. So it'll be pervasive across the employee experience. And actually, if you if you look at the, the use cases that Microsoft have already publicized around Copilot, they're actually going to be really powerful. So, for example, we've seen um, demos from Microsoft around what it can do in Teams. If you join a call halfway through um, and, and you've missed half the conversation, uh, Copilot should be able to summarize the content of that conversation, should be able to catch a sentiment, should be able to auto-generate um, a list of actions or disagreements or points to follow up on. And to Paul's point, uh, a second ago around making an individual employee more productive, traditionally that was something that somebody might have had to write up in 10, 15 minutes after the fact. It's now going to be real time. So actually the ability to then not focus on the the mundane work of writing something up and actually how you collaborate and break through problems, that will become the focus. We've actually been testing out some of those applications already and they are
0: pretty extraordinary how many action items come out from the meeting and then and then who uh, actually gets allocated those. But the other one for me that I'm interested in, and I'd be interested to in know whether this is part of what Microsoft is going to be offering, is if I were to find out all the email discussions I've had with KPMG and Sam and Paul, is that the kind of thing that Copilot's going to be able to offer to be able to go into my email or even the company's email and come back with a summary of the engagement we've
2: had? I mean, it, it absolutely should be, given the capability that's been published so far. We obviously have a really strong alliance relationship with both Microsoft and Google, and as part of that, we'll be getting our Copilot licenses in a, in a week or two's time, maybe even before this is this is published and gone live. So we'll be able to give you a definitive answer in a couple of weeks when I get my beta license. But certainly, if you believe the press at the moment, yes, that should be a use case. It's entirely possible. And then another
0: application pool. One of the discussions we've been having recently, in as sort of part of what. I think people are trying to solve this challenge of all the data moving around between different counterparties from the original insureds to brokers to insurers. And for a while, people have been trying to build portals. But recently, I've heard that actually they've given up on doing that because why not just let the brokers send it round with email attachments and then use the technology and the analytics to go and extract the data It's going to be more efficient. It strikes me a little bit like the adoption of the uh, sort of mobile telephone network in Africa, where it's leapfrogged putting in a conventional telephone infrastructure, you just go straight to technology that's out there. Is, is that sort of the kind of applications you're starting to see as you've been talking to insurers? I guess the second question is, is that the right way to think about it? Or are we at risk of taking too many shortcuts by just jump, you know, having too high expectations of what we can get out of generative AI?
1: I fear about the analogy in the sense that it's often seen as a panacea for not, or a reason for not doing anything now, that don't worry Gen AI is is the answer to the question. doesn't matter what the question is. And I think we've seen some of that this year. Just take the example that you've got. If you're operating green screens and your data is all over the place in your legacy platforms and you've got paper even flying around, perhaps, then how can you really deploy Gen AI to all of its abilities? If you are on a cloud-based SaaS platform with your data plans well advanced, you are far more likely to be able to deploy Gen AI in numerous use cases and make far more impact. So I think the in I don't think, is quite there. I think it is an opportunity, though, to completely rethink what we do, how we do it, how it stitches together. But remember, technology is just one part of this. As you well know, the processes that go around it and all of the people, particularly in the insurance market, they're operating that, need to move Hand in hand uh, to, to make the big changes.
0: I suppose it's a bit like this problem of data, isn't it? And Sam, it's maybe something you've got a view on, which is we all talk about or embrace the fact that more data is valuable, but the, the more data there is, the harder it is often to be able to organize it. I came up with an analogy for generative AI that someone told me was quite a good one, so I was going to run it past you. ChatGPT, for example, is like a librarian. So it's like a librarian that can very quickly run around a library and, ex- and get information, but there's a limit to how much you can expect that librarian to do. and Examples of things like being able to do calculations and maths and things, and you know, that's not the role. Is that a fair analogy for, for how we might think about some of these tools?
2: I think it is a fair analogy, but it also can work well with other members of staff, to carry on the analogy, that are good at those things. So other, maybe machine learning or natural language processing bots that actually are really good at you know, whether it be mathematics or other capabilities. I think that the really key point, though, is that a lot of organizations are in this place at the moment across all sectors where their data probably isn't as clean, as structured, as integrated as it needs to be to get the most value from this. And for a lot of organizations, that's a multi-year journey to get that into a, a sensible position where generative AI can exploit it. And what we're hearing from a lot of clients is that it's always been the case. You know, sort your data out has always been, I heard somebody say the other day, it's you know number 11 on the top 10 list of things to do because the benefits really weren't as tangible as they are with generative AI. Obviously now it's uh, it's eking up the list uh, and it's becoming much more of a priority for, for management teams.
0: So my love it when we'll people quote back, my quote, I <laughs> say ownership of that, somebody <laughs> may have posted it back to you, which is even better actually, it's
2: uh, the power uh, of the network. I did cite you earlier when I told Paul about it, so apologies for not citing you now. <laughs> I know,
0: I love it. And then I just want to talk a little bit about What are the the new insurance aspects that, on one hand, get enabled by generative AI tools, but also potentially are uh, needed as we move to these tools? So I guess the first one, we talked earlier about some of the efficiencies and the cost savings. We also touched on the fact that most insurers are also looking for new sources of premium, new sources of revenue. What are you seeing is happening where the generative AI tools are starting to allow insurers to more accurately price and therefore offer coverage to risks that previously they felt they didn't know enough about and therefore wouldn't insure.
1: I think we're still early days on on that, to be honest, Matthew. I think what everyone's acutely aware of in the industry is that there's new risks relating to to all of the rise of Gen AI, whether it's increased threat of data breaches, cyber security threats. There's all of the risks with using algorithms, whether it's the bias, whether it's errors in the models. And for all of this, there's a potential role for insurance in helping companies manage those risks. So whether that's adaptation of existing products, particularly cyber insurance, or the rise of new products, that's early days, but we'll see how that comes about. But I think everyone is optimistic about the opportunities here, particularly for being more relevant to our customers, but equally for solving some of the productivity and capability gaps that the industry has. So let's take a specific example. If the cyber insurance market is going to triple in the next five years, and um, what we, we did last year thought that it was going to grow from $10 billion market mm-hmm. in 2022 through to a $30 billion market by 2027, with a, probably a quadrupling in terms of the number of policies, because as you move down to, to SME, the number of underwriters that you need To deal with that sort of volume of business. And noting that from a lot of the efficiency work that we do, we know that around 50% of the time that underwriters spend is on non-value-added activities, i.e. non-underwriting activities or or developing uh, products with brokers and, and clients. Then there's a huge role for Gen AI to help the efficiency of of underwriters? And it links back into, I know, some of the other themes that have been prevalent in the market about how do we make underwriters' lives easier.
0: That's on one side, that's looking for new opportunities. And then what about this whole insurability of the use of generative AI tools themselves? Are you starting to see companies or opportunities where people are now providing cover for the use of tools? And I think that might particularly get into some of the areas like personal information and Some of the things are going on that. Is that coming through from your research?
2: There's a a story a couple of days ago about Microsoft making a a public statement, essentially promising to cover any liability that arises as a result of copyright infringement through generative AI. So essentially what they're saying is if you follow their anti-copyright methodology, you can be assured that the content that's been generated by a generative AI bot won't lead you down a, a liability claim for copyright infringement. And that they're so confident in that framework that actually they're willing to underwrite, you know, any, any uh, legal expenses um, that arise as a result. And I think that we, when we talk to insurers over the last couple of months, there is this sentiment that liability is going to have to be tested in the courts. It's a long-range thing that's got to play out, and only once it's played out via the, through the courts will we actually end up with a definitive position on where liability sits. You know, does it sit with the the person that wrote? The, the large language model? Is it the tech company that deployed it? Or is it the organization that's integrated it into their, their operation?
0: Yeah, it's mean, one of the similar challenges as, as moving to autonomous vehicles. And then on that Microsoft one, did they disclose whether they were planning to want write that off their own balance sheet, or, or are they acting more like an MGA or a...
2: Something? I, I didn't see anything in the in the article I read, but I'm making the assumption there's a third party involved. Yeah,
0: when they start to... I mean, what the Americans would call eating your own dog food, I guess. They're going to stand by their, their tech. And they're, and they're going to have to as well, because you can't progress if people i concern they're going to have big liability out, issues out
2: there. The other side, though, is from an insurer's perspective, is two sides of the coin. There's how they infuse artificial intelligence into their existing propositions and services that, they, that they're offering. But there's also, the, the, as Paul was alluding to, you know, the new solutions and products that will arise as a result of AI. Things that weren't possible before that are possible now. And I think we're yet to see... You know, those new products and services even be, be thought of because we're still in this first horizon of being a, a kind of co-pilot. As the tech matures, I think both sides of the, that coin will also mature and we'll start to see really innovative products and services come to market.
0: Lloyds itself has got a history of getting ahead of innovation or using some of the, the new areas to build on. Right, So it's, it's going to be interesting to see which companies start to be willing to be up there alongside Microsoft saying, no, we understand enough about this to be there and you can see a lot of co-creation of the insurance products as well. So I think that's, I suspect it's going to happen quite quite quickly, particularly given, I mean, hopefully given back in London, where there is that appetite to sort of diversify some of the risks. And then I want to talk a little bit about the cost, Sam, of, of GEN-to-VAI generally. So I suspect we've been slightly lulled into a sense that this is all great and, and free, because we can all go into chat GPT or BARD or other solutions, you can ask it questions, and it's actually pretty useful, and, and you don't get charged anything. But it's not really quite as simple as that, is it? Particularly when you're deploying it at scale.
2: No, and I think the the synergy we're drawing is it's likely to be very similar to the cloud model, where a lot of people thought there were going to be cost efficiencies, you know, by exiting your own data center, but actually the just the pricing model was completely different, um, and so you end up just paying uh, an amount to whoever your cloud hosting provider is, you know, for access to that data. It looks very likely that this will be very similar when it comes to the generative AI bots, whether that be copilot or the OpenAI open module in, in Azure or, or Vertex AI in BARD. And I think that we have yet to kind of think through the, the financial operations of that expenditure. I mean, Microsoft has been very clear with their pricing model. They see this as a completely different copilot, that is, as a completely different product to Office. So it will be priced as a standalone product. And the same will be true for the modules within the cloud hosting environment. You know, we've already seen some of the pricing models be alluded to around tokenization. That's the, the kind of compression of the request you're sending to a generative AI bot. And I don't think it will be a pure cost driver in and of itself without other, other actions being taken across the operation.
0: I know I'm oversimplifying this too much, but the... The charging model and the tokenization is very loosely linked to the number of words and you put into that. So the more words you start putting in, the more you've got to pay. And it, it also reminded me of the, the sort of mobile phone pricing model where if you're not careful, you can, you can actually rack up some high costs. And I, I thought I'd come across one of the most extreme versions of, of charging a mobile phone for my son who went to Europe and forgot to change the mobile charges. But I think, Sam, you actually might even be able to beat that with the
2: with your own experience. No, absolutely. My, my parents won't well, let me forget the £3,000 phone bill <laughs> I racked up. So uh, I'm sure it'll be quite similar when we get to this generative AI model. There'll be some CIOs out there that will rack up some pretty serious bills quite quickly. Yeah,
0: £3,000. I'm not going to ask you what you're downloading. But the uh, uh, yeah, I think it's a bit a warning, seriously, isn't it? Because you can sign up for some of these applications now and, and they will charge you by the by the sort of volume for the generative AI, AI usage. So yeah, so the costs are getting quite significant. I think that seems to also be a differentiator, isn't it, between some of the tools now and the the efficiency of how the an- analytics have been done. So the pro- differentiator now between some of the large language models is the ability to process more data more effectively and, and more quickly. So there's a, sort of a bit of an, I'm quite sure if it's the right word, an arms race, but we're seeing a little bit of that between obviously the big organisations like Google and Microsoft doing this, but some of the more niche companies building their own tools.
2: It's also something about how you move those sides forward within an organisation. So for us, we're really keen to, to educate KPMG employees across the board so they understand what artificial intelligence and generative AI is but also start to adopt it within existing business processes and integrate it into the services that we offer and one of the things that we've rolled out this summer to help with that effort is our our summer of AI so it's been a whole series of hackathons speakers from uh, tech companies academics and people across industry as well as our own technologists building demos and products with, with the technology. And it's actually had a fantastic rate of adoption throughout the organization, from our very junior grades right the way through to very senior parts of our, our exco and, and beyond. And it's just been a fantastic success in terms of how to educate, adopt, and, and infuse artificial intelligence into the organization. And I think when we come back to, to use cases, it's going to be the people uh, you know, on the ground delivering the services that are best place to find those use cases. And they can only really do that if they understand artificial intelligence.
0: And something you said there, Sam, it's got me thinking about ways for people who want to understand the real capabilities of generative AI. So you mentioned that the, like your colleagues in KPMG have supported this. If you got any advice for somebody that wants to help Explain to a, you know, a senior colleague or someone like how, how really to understand the power of this. I mean, you, you can all go onto ChatGPT and just type in something. But is there an example that you could say if you want to bring it to life for somebody, not necessarily in insurance context, but something they can understand? Is, is there anything you could you could suggest that they would show or use
2: or try out? I think it's really about experimentation. So in, in that context, if you're looking to kind of influence, you know, stakeholders within your organisation what we tend to do is talk about it in terms of a value chain, really understanding your value chain and and how your organization creates value. And once you do that, you can find ways to apply artificial intelligence to that value chain context. So by experimenting, by using it on a daily basis, by learning yourself how to do good prompt engineering, you can really understand the ways you can apply this technology to your business context and increasing value across that chain.
0: So let's pick up on that prompt engineering one. So... Prompt engineering is essentially the what it is, it's the questions you ask the generative AI tool, ChatGPT, and the, and the point about the prompt is you are actually guiding it in what to do. So there's uh, there's a whole skill now on, on prompt engineering. I had a, some really interesting advice yesterday. Actually, somebody was saying if you want to minimise this challenge of hallucinations, because certainly ChatGPT and and actually they're designed to be able to come up with creative answers is they don't know the exact answer because they're actually trying to synthesize information, but sometimes they go too far. And one of the the tips I think is really useful is if you don't know the answer, don't make it up. And you you build that into the prompt. But for people that want to understand more about how to ask good questions and how to write good prompts, where should they go to be able to get some basic guidance on how to do that? Because it does make a big difference in terms of the response you get back.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it very much tries to help you in giving an answer, and that's potentially where you know, hallucinations and misinformation can can creep in, I tend to look at it in a multi-stage conversation. So I, I very much set the background, or the context of, of the conversation up front. I describe the type of output that I'm looking for. And then I give the bot the option to ask me any questions if it's unclear. And by doing those, those kind of three things in a very structured way, it very much helps the, the bot to help you And giving it that permission to ask you questions, which it doesn't natively do, actually deepens the answer and makes it much more rich in terms of a response.
0: And how long is the memory of the question you ask? Because I know know, I've used it in a kind of individual, in in a bounded time period. It remembers the question I asked and it'll have the context. But, But does that memory last forever or does it sort of scrub itself and start again when you come back a day later or does it remember who Sam is?
2: Different chatbots behave in different ways. So for ChatGPT, on the public version currently remembers its context within the conversation. So if you have a string of conversation, it will remember all of the history that's happened before then. And you can pick up the conversation in three days, two weeks' time, and it remembers the rest of that context. Other chatbots behave in slightly different ways. And it'd be interesting to see Copilot. Obviously, that's going to rack up a significant amount of data very quickly it will be interesting to see over what time period that can remember the context of the conversation.
0: Paul, back to you just thinking about the deployment of generative AI tools, what it means to the workforce generally. A lot of people learn by doing, and and a lot of the, the sort of manual grunt work that gets done by lawyers and other professional services are things that could be replaced by generative AI. But what does that mean for how do we educate a workforce going forward? Because if they're not doing that basic work, are they going to be learning enough to be effective as they get to more senior positions and need to have a sense and understanding about what's going on, even if they're not checking all the information themselves?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. It's one that's been heavily debated in in the conversations and the roundtables that we've had. But I think if I look back at my career, just before I was starting work, most juniors would spend their time filing. We moved clearly beyond that. And that job description evolved to photocopying. Now, it's producing lots of PowerPoint. Now, I think we could do without any of those points and still have people who are new to an organization who can add value and do different things. They might be, back to your discussion about prompt, they might be really good at prompt engineering, and they might be engaging with the bots to develop research. I know it's often described as Gen AI, Horizon One is like having a good intern. When I was an intern, I'd spend a month or two researching and finding a product opportunity for one of the major banks that then turned out to be a, a major uh, market. But that took months. You could have your junior interns who don't know anything, like I didn't know anything, researching things in minutes and hours.
0: So, Paul, I know you've, you and KPMG have put together quite a lot of content on this. Where's the best place for people to go and look to, to sort of get a bit more depth on what we've been talking about today?
1: There's a huge amount of of, of information that we're producing as as an organization like many others. We'll put some of the articles in there that are more focused on generative AI as a topic and what organizations more broadly are doing, as well as including some of the specific insurance content. Because I think people are interested in the use cases that are here, but equally, what should people be doing about it right now? Well,
0: Sam, Paul, thank you very much for uh, carving out some time on this Friday afternoon and showing me around your facility and allowing me to use your recording facilities. I've certainly learned a lot and I'm looking forward to reading a bit more. So thank you very much.